Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, high-performance coach, college professor, and International Coach Federation board member, Dr. Peter A. James. Hey, what you drinking? We are going all the way back to the beginning. So if you've been riding with us since season one, you know that uh, we started out with a couple of episodes where this podcast was just an idea and I, tr- I was trying to frame what this idea was about. So that's that's episode one and two. And then in episode three, it was just me trying to describe this journey that I've been on professionally and, and why whiskey, jazz and leadership was in my mind, a tangible manifestation of where of where I have been and where I am right now, where I'm trying to go. But then I reached and I got my first guest. Well, that first guest is someone that I get to talk to on a weekly basis because he is one of two personal accountability partners that I speak to about my business, about my aspirations, about my dreams. And he's someone that I get to talk with on a weekly basis for another show that we do. And he was my first guest. Well, here he is. He is back. None other than Dr. Peter A. James. Dr. Peter, what's going on, man? Welcome back. Man, it has been a long time. I've been watching your podcast grow. Excited to be back with you. Talk whiskey, to talk jazz, to talk leadership. And to talk evolution as well, man. So I'm uh, really, really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, hey, man, me too. For a couple of reasons. Number one, because when I first brought you on, uh, you, you were like one of the safest guys I could bring on that would give me some grace as I tried to figure out what this podcast wanted to be. And so you came on and you really helped frame uh, what this podcast has turned out to be. And and every guest that has come afterwards, uh, I have sent them a copy of our episode. And I said, hey, look, this is the personality that we're trying to capture. So, man, th- talk about evolution. Th- this is full circle. Uh, so let me go ahead and get started the way my guests know that I need to get started by asking this incredibly important question. So what you drinking? And that's the that's the question that we should be asking everyone every single day, all the time. But today I am drinking none other than Uncle Nearest 1856. And if it's all right with you there, my friend, I'd love to have a sip with you. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, see, now here's now here's the thing, man. I, I boy, I, I really kind of reformed. Because there for a while, I was drinking Uncle Nears every episode, talking about Uncle Nears every episode. And so I, I reformed because I felt like I was begging uh, Victoria Butler or Fawn Weaver, someone from the Uncle Nears team to join us. And so I moved away. But in order to enjoy some Uncle Nears with you the right way, I'm going to break out my bottle. Now, this, this bottle I'm going to break out, this is the Uncle Nears 1820. And 
I, I've only got like an inch and a half left. This is this is the last bottle, the last inch and a half in my last bottle. So we got to wait for this for this juice to come back around. But uh, I only saved, I only uh, drink this on special occasions, and this I believe qualifies. So I'm gonna break open some some Uncle Nearest 1820. Here we go. And I'm gonna be ginger, but I'm gonna go ahead and pour a good. Ah oh, man, this is this is this is maybe maybe a half a finger, not quite a finger, you know. Hey, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna really cherish this. I'm gonna nurture this, and uh, but really enjoy it, man. I just really love the caramel that I get out of this, man, every time. But this is clocking in at 111 proof. And that 1856, I know, is always amazing. So while I enjoy this, man, share a little bit of your background with my audience so that those who missed out on episode three, I think it was, and those who have not been able to join us for our weekly conversations, help them get to know who you are and why I, I am just so excited to hang out with you on a weekly basis. Wow. I, I really don't know where to start, but so I'll start from when I was a young man, college in Atlanta, Georgia, Georgia State University after college, military, United States Army officer. Did that for about seven and a half, eight years, transitioned into the corporate space thereafter as a sales and marketer for 10 years in the corporate space, Fortune 100 companies at that. Then I uh, discovered coaching during that tenure, became, um, loved coaching so much, impacted my life so much, changed my life that I went on and got my own coaching certification. Ultimately, when I did leave the corporate space, I transitioned over into higher education where I became a faculty chair and then a college professor, taught business and entrepreneurship while still continuing to grow my own executive and leadership coaching business. And um, continue to do that now with HCG Consulting Solutions. And I still do some adjunct teaching on the side as I continue to move forward. So the teaching as well as the, the coaching and consulting is, is the biggest part of my life and a lot of the philosophies that come along with it. I'll tell you, you and I go back to uh, the very beginning of of my coaching journey, because just as I was leaving corporate America, I hung out my shingle and thought I wanted to try to become the next Les Brown, the next Dr. Willie Jolly, until I got to see those guys up close and I realized there there, there is no next <laughs> Les Brown. There is no next <laughs> Dr. Willie Jolly. Dude, you, you need to like find your own lane. And anytime you would have a development conversation with someone in corporate America, they would call that coaching. And so I, I thought, well, I'll just call myself a coach. And I started hanging out with you and you were like very quick to say, uh, yeah, you, you're, you're pretty passionate about this. You've got some things to say, but if you're going to call yourself a coach, you need to get the certifications, you need to get the training. And um, once I stepped into that, I, I understood that oh my God, this is like a whole nother world versus what I was doing before, what I thought I was doing, giving advice and, and, and trying to help people. 
that's a part of it. But this coaching thing, this is a whole nother professional coaching is a whole nother mindset. It's a whole nother discipline. So talk a little bit about that journey for you, because like like you, once I stepped into this, man, it took on a life of its own. And today, I, I don't say that coaching is my job. I don't say that it's my career. It has become my calling, primarily because of the discipline that you introduced me to. But talk a little bit about that journey into coaching and why that's become such a big part of, of what you and I talk about. Yeah, um, executive and leadership coaching or authentic professional coaching, as I like to call it, is still fairly new to most people in society. So many people call themselves a coach, say they are coaching, but you and I know they have no idea. And when I got my own coach, it changed my life from a perspective of seeing life differently, seeing opportunities differently, seeing my future differently. And I say that because oftentimes many of us embark on our work journey, our life journey, just as the environment around us uh, presents itself. Poaching really asks you about the possibilities. What if there was more? What if you could do more? What would it take? What would it involve? Who needs to be around you to be able to step into that? And we we often are not intentional. We don't even realize it sometimes. We're not intentional to step outside of our environment to find out what if. And coaching, just that engagement with a coach allowed me to get that aha moment. Like, wow, what if that really could happen? What if it could be like that? Let me investigate a little bit further to see if it's possible. And once I did, and once I saw that it's possible, and once I stepped into that, I never looked back. And that's the essence of coaching right there. And sometimes because we have tunnel vision, or maybe even sometimes we have blinders on that we don't even realize that we have on, we're not able to see things from a different lens, a different perspective. The ability to partner with a professional who can help you see it from a different lens, priceless. That's what changed my life and why I had to find out more about it and investigate and get trained for myself. You know, and, and I'll tell you, there, there's, a, there's a good degree of, of courage that goes into a, a coaching relationship, both as a coachee, so when you, when you sign on to work with a professional coach, there, there are going to be some moments where, and I tell my clients all the time, if I do this thing right, there might be some moments where you don't like me very much. You know, if, if I do this thing right, and there takes some courage to step into that. There, there also, uh, my experience has been, there's some courage required to coach fearlessly, and that means that there are some times when I, I might have to lead you or guide you or follow you into a conversation or down a path where I don't know where this is going to land. <laughs> I, I don't know what the results are going to be. A question is is needed to take you where you want to go, and I may not have the vision as to what's on the other side of that question. And uh, I, I've said jokingly to you and to others that I know it's going to be a great coaching session when 
when the client tells me what they want to work on and my internal reaction is, well, damn, I see why you need a coach for that one. That's a, that's a doozy. That's, that's a pretty, woof. Yeah. Woof. And usually when that's my internal reaction, I know, and I'm admitting to myself, I can't give you any advice about this. We're going to have to, we're going to have to follow this path together. And, and the courage that it requires to lead someone to walk alongside of someone down a path where you don't know where this is going to lead. You just know that it's going to be where they need to go. So is that just me or, or do you find yourself staring down, (laughs) staring down the barrel or pathway and you're like, well, I'm just gonna have to trust that this is going to work out. (laughs) You know, I, one of the things that you said a little bit and that, that phrase that you and I have touched on ever so often in our conversations is fearless coaching, right? The coaching as a coach, the challenging of my clients so much so that they might get offended. They may not like me. They may not want to talk to me for a while until they sleep on it and wake up the next morning and realize, oh, the possibilities now that are around me because of that conversation, because of that reflection. We don't often like to be told that we're not thinking big enough. We don't often like to be told that we might be wrong or that our circle of friends, colleagues are not as strong as they need to be. As adults, especially, we don't like to be told that we're not going down the wrong path. But if you can open yourself up to that just a little bit, just allow for a crack to be entered into that challenging, again, the possibilities are endless. And maybe as I'm sitting here talking to you about it a little bit, Galen, maybe it's an ego thing. Maybe it's a pride thing. And I wonder, again, if we shift that, become aware of that ego and pride and shift that, minimize that, what are we willing to open ourselves up to for the future? And that could be scary right there. Wow, man! You know, uh, you know, you you've introduced a couple words that uh, we play with a lot in our coaching sessions uh, with clients, and that is uh, this idea of fear and this this concept of whether or not we are playing big enough. And usually, there is a call. Usually, we have to call our clients to play bigger. And the reason that they are avoiding that that larger play is because of fear. Talk a little bit about how much fear has played into the kind of work that you do. Because I, I know, again, you've been doing this uh, for a lot longer than I have, at a, at a higher level for a lot longer than I have. You do this all over the world, and you're you're even part of the national board for the International Coach Federation. So this is the this is the organizing organization for most of the professional coaches in the world, and you're on the national board. So, what insights do you have around how much of our work is around helping our clients not overcome fear? but to execute against their dreams while they are afraid uh, so that they can play bigger. Yeah. So let me correct you. 
International Coaching Federation is an international board. So my colleagues in Europe and Asia, they would get mad if I don't acknowledge that. So I have to make sure I say that out <laughs> for you as well. But I'm even glad you have circled back into that word. I actually just did a video and wrote an article about fear on um, on LinkedIn. And let me just start out by saying, for those of you who are listening, and for us right now too, Galen, how fear manifests itself. So here's some words that you and I know quite well that fear, sometimes we don't realize is fear manifesting itself as other things, self-doubt, prejudice, discrimination, imposter syndrome, risk averse, relationship issues, addiction, insomnia, having a fixed mindset, self-sabotage, indecision, self-limiting beliefs, self-image, self-deprecation. And how about this last one, the need to be liked or followed. Think about those words, right? That we read a lot about, maybe are fully aware of, but don't realize that if they manifest even just a little bit in our lives, what part of that might also be attached to fear? Think about that last one, not need to be liked. When I'm not getting likes, or people don't like me, I'm there's a, there's a fear aspect to that. Oftentimes, it's a fear of nothing. But still, we attach something to that word. Man, you you are hitting on so many things that are affecting the world today. We we live in a world dominated by social media, and the way that you, whether you are a teenager, whether you are a young adult whether you're a professional, whether you're running a business, uh, we're dominated by how many likes can we get? <laughs> and we will have the number of likes dictate the value that we believe we've created. Man, you, you're, just, you're just really hitting on it. And that, that brings me back to this metaphor of, of this podcast. And I wanna get your thoughts on this again, because I think it might, it might tie into what we've been talking about. You know, the metaphor of whiskey is doing what you enjoy uh, with your crew, irregardless of what your non what the non crew members, what other folks might say about what you're doing. As long as as long as you've got your crew and you're doing what you enjoy, that's whiskey. Uh, the metaphor of jazz for me is how do you get from where you are to where you want to go? even when there's no sheet music that might make you feel secure, right? How do you step into the fear and do the thing anyway with your flavor, you know, with your skills, the, the, the way that only you can do it? That for me is a metaphor of jazz. And then for me, the metaphor of leadership is, you know, marketing is a lot of fun and strategy is incredibly important. But uh, until someone stands up and says, we, we're going to take this first step today and we're going to go in this direction, we're really just practicing. Until someone takes the initiative to say, we're going to start and we're going to go here, uh, there really is nothing is really going to happen. Or as I like to say, nobody eats unless somebody kills something. And for me, that's the metaphor of leadership. So that's really what this podcast has evolved into. How does whiskey, jazz, and leadership fit into what we've been talking about relative to navigating around fear? 
Yeah, I, I will say that with um with all three, and I'm going to introduce another word into our conversation that is attached to all three: whiskey, jazz, and leadership. So let's start with the whiskey. What I'm drinking today with whiskey is not what I was drinking ten or twenty years ago. There was an evolution. To be a an expert jazz musician, there comes a a level of sharpening of skills and practice and evolution of sorts to get to the point where you can improvise. But improvising doesn't happen the first day you start playing the trumpet. As a leader, you don't wake up one day and just say, "I'm a leader," and and it just you manifest as a phenomenal leader. It also takes an evolution of education and experience to realize how to be a better leader. So, with all three of these, an evolution of education and experience, awareness, learning from others, practicing, sharpening your skill. When I was twenty some odd years、uh, years old, whiskey was not good to me. My palate changed. My palate evolved, right? And so now, as you look at all three of those, and ask ourselves, especially the leadership aspect of it, if I go to there, if you're a leader right now listening to this, how is your leadership ability and capabilities? How have they evolved? How have you become a better leader? Would your followers say that you have become a better leader? How have you evolved? So if you're listening and your leadership skills are not evolving, even if you're in the C-suite, even if you're the CEO, what are you doing?、Mm. How are you getting better? How is your organization getting better? Wow, man! You 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 bring to mind a quote, and and these are the words of Noel M. Tichy and Andrew McGill, and I captured this in in one of my books, but、uh, th- this came to mind when I was just listening to you just now. They say that. Uh, given the choice between being in control or being effective, we choose being in control because being effective means that we must be in touch with the changing reality and be willing to change with it. It requires the monitoring of our own hypocrisy and have the willingness to close those hypocrisy gaps. For me, that takes courage. It takes courage to evolve. You know, I I know what I know. I don't want what's worked for me to ever be challenged, because now you're gonna you're gonna cause me to have to leave those safe spaces and reevaluate.、Uh, I you know I I love to tell the story about、uh, how、um, I, I'm incredibly open minded, but I hate the New York Yankees. And the reason I hate the New York Yankees is because my dad hated the New York Yankees. And my dad hated the New York Yankees because my granddad could not stand the New York Yankees. Never had anything good to say about the New York Yankees. And before my granddad passed away, I asked him. I said, "Granddad,、um, why do we hate the New York Yankees?" And he said, "Well, Galen, it's it's very simple. I used to love the New York Yankees. As a matter of fact, my favorite player played for the New York Yankees." Uh, but in 1947, they traded my favorite player to a team that was outside of the radio listening area, and I wasn't going to be able to hear him play anymore. And from that point on, I hated the New York Yankees. And Dad just went along with it, and I just inherited it. 
it, but it took courage to evaluate, hey, wait a second, <laughs> this thing that we know to be true, that the New York Yankees are just terrible, let's evaluate that, right? Why do we believe this thing about the New York Yankees and come to find out it wasn't based on anything that I would subscribe to today? It, it's based on something that's been handed down and until you're willing to evaluate many of those things that you might hold to be true, you really aren't going to be able to live up to your full potential. So, I mean, that just that came to my mind as, as, as I heard your story that it takes courage to step into those hypocrisy gaps and to evaluate why is this true and all those isms that you that you mentioned earlier, whether it's racism, whether it's it's sexism, whether it's whatever, just put an ism on the end of it. It, it usually comes from fear or this unwillingness to to evaluate beliefs that you've held. Yeah, I love that story that you just mentioned there, Galen. I love it uh, on so many different levels. There's a couple of ones that really just slap me in the face with it. And one of them is, as leaders, we don't even realize sometimes the, the things that we're holding on to that are affecting everyone around us because we've been holding on to them so long. And as a leader, are you willing to pull back the layers to see what that might be for you, as opposed to thinking that you have all your I's dotted and your T's crossed, right? Number one. But then number two, are you willing to be vulnerable to uncover those isms that may exist that you described and the vulnerability and the transparency to say, you know what, I didn't even realize that was a thing for me, but now I know I got to do something about it. And many leaders, even in 2023 and beyond, are not willing to be that vulnerable. Not even just leaders, many people in society are not willing to be that vulnerable. And if, again, if you're listening, if you're, if you're listening to this, you have to ask yourself that serious question. Am I willing to unpack, pull back the layers on stories that have been told to me or um, directly or indirectly that I follow to this day, and they may be impacting others around me and I don't even know it? Mm. Are you willing to do so? And many people are not, and they're not saying they're not, they're just living their lives and not even investigating. You know, I was just thinking about how how what you're saying might might reveal itself inside of organizations. It might reveal itself if you hear, uh, this is the way it's always been done here. Or um, we we never question that part. The four most dangerous words to effective leadership then might be, we know that already. <laughs> we know that already. We've got that covered. We've got that covered, right? When you when you when you when you start hearing that in a manner of speaking in your organization, that should that should perk up your ears and make you want to really start digging in and, and evaluating what's going on. Now, just because you've done things a certain way doesn't mean that it's always bad, right? R rumor isn't always wrong. Sometimes there's a reason why we've we've institutionalized some of the things that we've done because because it's worked. Right. And I don't know that we're saying that you need to throw out everything. 
but you should on a very periodic basis evaluate what you're doing and why you're doing it and whether or not it's still true one of the things that i want to bring into this conversation because uh, you you and i share this as well we we both share uh, a fondness for john coltrane I, I think i may be a little bit more fond of miles davis but John Coltrane was was part of he kind of came up under Miles Davis a little bit, started out as part of Miles Davis's crew. And then he broke off and he started doing his whole his, his own thing. But I, I love some of the things that uh, John Coltrane said, uh, especially around the album, A Love Supreme. He said, I am playing for God. And if you just happen to be listening, then that's, you know, that's added but I am playing for God and you just happen to be listening. And so for me, that really does embody this idea of whiskey <laughs> that this isn't, this isn't about you if you don't get it. If you don't get it, this is not about you. I'm doing this for me and what is true for me. And if it helps you, then that's great. Talk a little bit uh, about uh, why John Coltrane is one of your favorites. Yeah, for, first of all, um, the music, I could sit on a couch with some whiskey all day long and just have John Coltrane playing in the background. And I am in my most serene place in the world. And a, a certain part of me believes that he's talking through his instrument to his listeners. He's he's been known noted as saying, you know, he's communicating this spiritual expression of his faith, his knowledge through his music. And I feel the passion when he is playing that saxophone. When he's really going in, there's nothing like it. It is again, it's just the most serene place. It's like it's like looking over a a lake a calm lake in the morning that has that thin layer of that mist that that fog in the morning and it's just so serene that's what it feels like for me when i'm listening to cold train and what i love about that is that's how I, what i desire if i'm speaking to an audience i desire that i'm communicating in a way that the audience feels my passion feels the purpose sometimes without even saying words, maybe by body language, gestures, pitch, tone, inflection, those things. I'm hoping that they can feel that to a certain extent. So there's a lot to be learned from jazz musicians that pour their all into their craft um, for the benefit of our, us listeners. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers. podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.